No medicine will cure your sickness. However, I have a precious thing here that I can lend you, which, if you will look at it every day, can be guaranteed to save your life. So saying, he took from his satchel a mirror, which had reflecting surfaces on both its sides. The words, a mirror for the romantic, were inscribed on the back. He handed it to Jare. This object comes from the Hall of Emptiness, in the Land of Illusion. It was fashioned by the fairy disenchantment as an antidote to the ill effects of impure mental activity. It has life-giving and restorative properties, and has been brought into the world for the contemplation of those intelligent and handsome young gentlemen whose hearts are too susceptible to the charms of beauty. I lend it to you on one important condition. You must only look in the back of the mirror. Never, never under any circumstances, look into the front. Three days hence, I shall come again to reclaim it, by which time I guarantee that your illness will have gone. here joined as always by William Jones. Will, how are you doing? Have you been managing to avoid the wrong side of the mirror? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm afraid not though. I'm always looking. I'm always looking in the wrong side of the mirror. So what is for us? The, is that the, the wrong end of the Twitter discourse? You know, the wrong forum? Yeah. The wrong thread? Yeah. The wrong... Yeah, exactly. The, looking through the wrong end of the telescope. Uh, the wrong reply all email loop? Oh, absolutely! It's 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 all those things and more. So we're doing chapter, we're doing chapter twelve today. This is kind of a, I would describe this as a a parable for the age, a caution, a warning, a message. Exactly. We we delve into into fables, into morality tales today, and it's a good one, folks. I feel like we say this every time, but this is one of my favorite chapters so far. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you, you have to find you know the diff- the, the the space between reality and fiction uh, mm. w- when we give the chapter estimation. Uh, before we we began recording, we were talking a little bit about uh, what would a socially distanced Baoyu look like. So, what would it mean to be, uh, I guess, a the the rich son of, son of the house in our modern era? And, and I was thinking it probably would involve uh, a lot of screens, right? A lot of screen time, maybe too much screen time. Yep. Are we all Jare? Or, or are we all uh, socially distanced by you? We shall see. We shall see. I think I think most of us uh, manage to avoid creeping on our cousins' wives, even being under lock and key. I, I don't know. I still think this is still a lot of people's, uh, if you do like, you know, uh, anonymous surveys, this is still a common kind of uh, ideational desire space of desire right so oh yeah well i mean although 
I mean, in in that and similar forms based on people's Google searches. Oh, exactly. Look at Google searches, what kind of media people are consuming. Uh, there still is this uh, uh, this kind of illicit desire is with us. And so we have to we have to figure it out. Should we do a quick um, a quick recap so people know vaguely what we're talking about? A recap, <laughs> yeah, sure. So last time in chapter eleven, it was a party, and so the central family in this book is the Jia clan, and it has these two major branches: the Rong branch and the Ning branch, and they're in kind of next door houses. And the patriarch of the Ning branch, uh, Jia Jing. Uh, was having his birthday in the previous chapter. But he, of course, has uh, abandoned all material wealth and gone to live as a, a Taoist. And so he didn't, in fact, attend his own birthday. But they held one for him nonetheless. And at the appropriate time, they all got on their knees in the direction of the, the place that he lives. And during this party, I mean, a series of things happen. There are some there are some actors who come and entertain them. Yes. But the, the kind of main thing is... Um, a few of them go off to visit Qin Shi, who is one of the women of the household, and she is sick with what we think is a, some kind of mortal illness. In in the previous chapter to that, in chapter 10, there had been a doctor who came round and prescribed some medicine for her, and it may have made some difference, but it seems like on balance she's maybe not going to pull through. And so the main person who goes to visit her is Wang Shifeng, who is... She's one of the kind of main women of the wrong branch of the of the clan. Mm-hmm. And she's very, you know, like intelligent and witty and quite sort of feisty, I suppose, uh, if that's not too patronizing a term to use. And and very kind of caring and stuff. And um, so she is seeing her, her kind of cousin, uh, finding out a bit about her illness and trying to lift her spirits generally. And then after she finishes, she wanders back to join the party. And she's walking through this beautiful garden, admiring the kind of sights, when out of nowhere, Jia Rei, uh, a young man of the Ning branch, uh, appears from behind a, a little artificial mountain that they've built in the garden. Um, and um, we can tell straight away that what he's doing, what he's done here is he's kind of like set up what looks like a coincidental meeting in the garden, which he'd entirely planned himself as a way to snake in the grass it's snake in the grass yeah as a way to get her alone and you know try to uh kind of make a move on her i suppose now she knows exactly what's going on (laughs) and she decides she wants to kind of teach him a lesson so what she decides to do is to slightly encourage him to begin with to kind of lead him on and ultimately then humiliate him as a way of teaching him a lesson Mm -hmm. so uh, in this chapter, we see mostly how that plays out, basically. In short, twice during the night, he tries to go and sneak into her bedroom. Uh, and both times, his ambitions are foiled by her plans. And uh, this all ends very badly for Jare. He develops uh, an illness, and this gets worse and worse and worse. And no doctor is able to cure him. And then a mysterious Taoist monk comes wandering past the, by the house one day begging for alms uh, and he says that he has a way to cure what I think they call uh, retributory uh, illnesses so you know kind of not kind of your ordinary germ or, or you know virus born illnesses but that 
you know ones that are more like almost kind of mm. mystical or divine in nature mm, of the of the soul yeah and that cure that cure as we as we heard at the beginning of the uh, in the cold open was um this kind of mirror uh it's a it's a mirror with two sides described as a mirror for the romantic the monk tells him that he must only look at the backside and never the front and if he does that for 3 days his sickness will be cured and so he looks at the back of the mirror and he sees this horrifying skull and so he puts the mirror down in disgust and then he thinks oh well what about if i look at the other side so he flips it over and immediately he's greeted by the visage of wang xifeng his love interest and unlike in real life she's beckoning beckoning him towards her and he goes and he joins her in the mirror uh, and they have sex and then he wakes up and he realizes it was all a dream but he flips over the mirror again and keeps looking and he does it over and over and over again uh, until eventually he is he becomes trapped in the mirror and and he dies there and then and that's more or less the end of the chapter there's a you know some funeral at the end and and we find out that Lin Ruhai who is the father of Lin Daiyu who is one of the young women of the wrong branch of the Jia clan and one of the principal love interests of Bao Yu our central figure so we discover that her father has fallen ill so there's a lot of people being taken away by illness at, at this point in the book. And so she is sent off to see her father. And I think she's accompanied by Jia Lian, who is one of the men of the wrong branch of the household, and I think is uh, Wang Xifeng's husband, correct? Correct, yeah. And so you said this is maybe your favorite chapter. Is that uh, an accurate estimation? What, uh, what really like made this one stand out for you? I think I had the impression before reading this book, that it was maybe rather serious and philosophical and a bit ponderous, maybe. And certainly in places it is very kind of serious and, <laughs> and it does consider these kind of higher questions. But actually a lot of it is just quite fun and playful. Uh, and this one is, is quite a playful chapter. There are some quite kind of slapstickish elements to it. Mm, uh, it is yeah. quite comedic. And it's just fun to read, you know. To an extent, right? Yeah. <laughs> my my feeling was that I was quite happy to see Jare get his comeuppance, you know, because we came across him in an earlier chapter. Right. He was a substitute, correct? The substitute teacher. The schoolroom scene, basically. Um, so yeah. So there's the there's the there's the school that all the the boys of the Jia clan attend, and usually the teacher is Jia Dairu, who is. Jare's grandfather, and who was very stern, strict, upright kind of Confucian. Right. Ru is actually the the Ru as in um, Confucian, the Ruists. It's the same character. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so what we call Confucianism in uh, in English is not called Confucianism in in Chinese. It's uh, Ru Xue or Ru Jia, right? So Ru is like exactly means Confucianism. So he has it right there in the name. Yeah. And we see that even in this chapter. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And so, yeah, he's called away on business, uh, and so his grandson, Jare, steps in as substitute teacher. But as we know, he is very... He's rather venal and self-interested. Um, he's not at all impartial. He's just rather a bad teacher and extremely bad at maintaining any sense of uh, kind of order or authority. My reaction, I think, is similar. Um, I had a lot of fun reading this. There's some really interesting elements. I tend to gravitate toward the uh, the more mystical, uh, imaginative elements. So I was getting really into uh, thinking about the mirror and uh, what, what it represents. It's it's like philosophical and spiritual impl uh, connotations and implications. Um, 
while also just enjoying the story, uh, really like viscerally feeling uh, Jare's um, kind of disgusting, extremely uh, all, all the worst elements of masculinity coming out and or desire coming out. At the same time, uh, we see a little bit in this chapter, part of me as it went through and through, I felt a little bit of um, sympathy for Jare and I felt as if uh, you see a little bit of implicit cruelty in Wang Shifeng's character. And so I don't leave this chapter entirely on Team Shifeng. I, I, there's something about her sort of um, scheming and her callousness that I think is, is dangerous. It's going to be dangerous for the household. And we can actually maybe talk a little bit about how some of the uh, premonitions from her poem and song in chapter five emerge actually in this chapter. And so we see, uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. We're having a great time, but I also see some of the cracks forming as it were. And I've also just been thinking about, yeah, what, what is, um, we, can, we can get a little bit philosophical, maybe talk a little bit about desire and how, you know, what, what does it mean for Jare to go to uh, the, the great emptiness fantasy land, the, the Taishu, Taishu Huanjing. How's, it, how's his trip different? from Bao Yu's trip and what might that represent. So it's, it's, it is a pretty cool chapter, a lot, a lot to think about uh, and great to read. So hopefully we can, we can do it justice. Uh, I, I think today's um, episode can be a little bit of storytelling where we just, um, we try our hand at, at being good storytellers and, and not simply uh, analytical uh, aca- academics or what have you. <laughs> So on that note, yeah, let's, let's dive right into it. Where we ended the last chapter, Wang Xifeng was telling her maid, uh, Patience, Ping Er, about what Jia Rei had been doing and, and his kind of scheming. And that is where we left them. We left them just as Jia Rei had arrived to pay a visit yet again. Uh, so he's shown in and there's a conversation between him and uh, Wang Xifeng where... Yeah, I, I I joked about it on Twitter as him being like the original nice guy, nice guy TM. Because, you know, you have this like modern phenomenon of like... Um, yes, T- tell listeners about uh, the nice guy phenomenon. The, the, nice, guy pheno- the nice guy phenomenon <laughs> is men who feel that, men, particularly young men, who feel that because they are basically nice to women, that they therefore deserve sex from them. And they're, you know, like they're they're prone to saying things like, you know, Women only want assholes. <laughs> if I was just an asshole, I could uh, I could get all the women I want. It's basically like a, 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 a like extremely toxic form of uh, behavior or attitude. S- so in this case, in this case, they're they're talking and um, he's saying, "Oh, you know, where's your husband? And you know, how comes he, how come he's not back? Like maybe he's been, you know, maybe someone has caught his eye on the on the way home. Um, uh, he's got in mm. some kind of entanglement. Okay, and." Um, and Wang Xifeng kind of goes along with it and jokes, and she's like, oh, you know you know what men are like. Uh, I'll, I'll read from the Hawks. Men are all the same, says Xifeng. They have only to set eyes on a woman to begin another affair. Ah, there you are wrong, said Jia Rei. I am not that sort of man. Not all men. Yeah, not all men. You can kind of get the impression of how kind of insufferable he is. Yeah, oh, this, this is terrible. It, my skin crawls just reading this. He goes on to say, you know, you must be bored you know, do you, do you not have, you know, you must be bored having having nothing to kind of pass the time. 
And she says, yes, indeed, says Xifeng. If only there were someone who could come and talk to me and help me to pass the time. Well, said Jare, I am always free. How would it be if I were to come every day to help you pass the time? So she, you know, she keeps laying these um, these kind of traps for him and he keeps just willingly hurling himself headfirst into them. Yeah, he's really, uh, the trap is set and he has complete uh, lack of caution. He's He's going for it. You can tell he's just completely consumed by desire and he's seeing things uh, as he wants to see them. Yeah. Uh, completely shifting reality to, to yeah. suit his, his fancy. There are a couple of things in the, in the Chinese that I wanted to, to kind of bring up, which are good illustrations of, of how he's kind of feeling, uh, of his reaction to, to this conversation, right? So he's first described as 洗的抓而挠塞 which is okay. like so happy that he tweaked his ears and scratched his jaw. It's it's a kind of like slightly funny turn of phrase. I guess it's a behavior that maybe you like may not be as familiar to Western audiences, I suppose. But you know, he's kind of like he's basically kind of jumping for joy mm-hmm. at the prospect of her showing favor to him. I suppose it goes on that when he again hears some other some other words of um, encouragement from Wang Xifeng. It says he is um, fa zhuang zai xin kan shang. So xin kan is like the base of your heart. So on the base of, it was like thumping on the base of your heart. So that I think will be quite familiar to people. That feeling of like, like a stone in the pit of your stomach kind of thing. You know, it's that, it's that sort of feeling. And then there's a final one where, where when she talks to him, it's, I think it's described as lun yin for you iban, which is to say, like an imperial edict or the words of a Buddha. Or like the words of a god, kind of thing. Uh, so, so her speech to him is as serious and important as as those kind of things. So, those expressions that you mention really call to mind, like almost like a Looney Tunes character, where I imagine the uh, the heart like uh, bursting out of the chest in a in the shape of a heart, and and the, and the the scratching the ears. He really seems almost like a dog. Yes, absolutely. Uh, who, who's been absolutely uh, whose senses have been activated. Uh, honestly, in in modern internet, like lexicon he is cringe he is deeply deeply cringe yes 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 this whole chapter is uh creepy and cringe to use in in, in their modern uh internet senses indeed indeed so so where they leave it is basically she says that he should go because it's daytime and people are coming and going and they'll see them together and say things but why doesn't he come back at the night time and he's like yeah i'll do that sure this is definitely not a trap you definitely are not fucking with me. <laughs> <laughs> and But she says um, that where he needs to go is into this r- kind of rear corridor. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, yeah, so she says, go away now and come back later when it's dark. At the beginning of the first watch, you can slip into the gallery west of this apartment and wait for me there. And she says that she'll, you know, tell the, uh, tell the night watchman to have a night off so there'll be nobody guarding the doors. So he'll be able to sneak in without being seen. So, how does that go for Jare? Not, it it could be uh, it could be better. You could say, yeah. He basically, I, I mean, she's not there, and he gets stuck. He gets stuck in a liminal space. Not to be that guy, but uh, he gets stuck in a liminal space, and it's not fun. You know, he's he basically freezes to, to death overnight. Not you know, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. But what I'm imagining is this is a kind of, as you say, it's a liminal space. It's a it's a it's a a space for transiting between two different other parts of the 
of the house, correct? Uh-huh, yeah. And the gates in and out of it are locked, and the walls are too high to climb. Yeah. And it's, it's wintertime, and there is a fierce, relentless wind blowing all night, and that kind of chills him to the bone. There's actually quite a... I, again, I, I, there was a bit of language that I picked out that I thought was um, quite good. So the night is, is, is pitch black. It's literally uh, chihei, which is black as paint. So kind of black as black paint kind of thing. But but yeah, almost exactly equivalent to pitch black in English because, you know, pitch originally is kind of tar. And then the wind is shuo feng lin lin. So this is the north wind. It's freezing cold. And it qin ji lie gu. So it invaded his flesh and uh, split his bones. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You really, yeah, you get the impression it's quite chilly. And so this is a pretty, uh, this is obviously by uh, Wang Shifang's design. But this is actually, I'd say, the lesser of his two um, like punishments, so to speak. But once he's finally uh, released the following morning from this, um, it's kind of this prison between, uh, between spaces, uh, his travails are not over yet, right? Um, because he has to answer now for his for his disappearance overnight, and naturally his Confucian grandfather he just assumes, well, you've been out, you've been out about, uh, you've been whoring around. I, I think I can read it from the from the Hawks here. So, obsessed by the fear that once outside the house, his grandson might indulge in drinking and gambling to the detriment of his studies, Dairu had subjected him since early youth to an iron discipline from which not the slightest deviation was tolerated. Seeing him now suddenly absent himself a whole night from home, and being incapable, in his wildest imaginings, of guessing what had really happened, he took it as a foregone conclusion, been drinking or gaming, and had poss- probably passed the night in some house of prostitution. So, so yeah, he, you know, his, his granddad is pissed. Right. Um, and then he... So he tries to he tries to lie, but the lie is not uh, believed, which probably uh, only worsens his situation. And so, the the punishment here is pretty severe. So he has to now kneel in the open courtyard and finish ten days homework uh, on his knees. Yeah. Oh, he also gets. He also gets caned. Oh, after, yeah, after being uh, caned 30 or 40 times with the bamboo. They, they, don't, they don't specify whether it's the, the heavy bamboo or the medium bamboo, which is a distinction that <laughs> sometimes appears in, the, in these texts. But it's some kind of bamboo, yeah. Yeah, I assume he's getting little whips rather than being just, like, beaten, you know, savagely. Um, but it sounds, it sounds pretty painful. A modern educator would not be allowed to do this. Modern parents probably would not be allowed to do this. I don't think so. Um, he, he had a bad time. But uh, apparently that's not enough to, you know, desire of the heart, you know, it's not easily uh, thwarted, right? So then we basically we move right on to round two. Am I correct? Am I missing anything? He, he you know, gets a bit of rest and then he goes back to see her because his, his feelings are no less ardent for this difficult thing he's had to endure like literally two days later and she of course <laughs> not only doesn't admit any knowledge of the trap that he that she kind of set for him but in fact you know berates him for not having come over to see her and says that he he must have been lying about his feelings and you know how could you disappoint me like that 
Right. And you could maybe say here, this is where it begins to, you start to wonder about her character a little bit. I, I don't know. At what point did you start feeling bad for Jare, if at all? Not yet, but for me, it's like it's starting a little bit to like, hmm, maybe this game is going too far. I, I suppose maybe she's being a little unkind to him. Uh, <laughs> he does very stubbornly refuse to learn his lesson, it seems. But you're right, it does, in a bit, it will begin to get slightly out of hand. Yeah, yeah. So what what happens next? They arrange another tryst, but in a different location. So she says, don't wait for me in that place again. Wait in the empty room in the little passageway behind this apartment. But mind you, don't run into anybody. And, uh, you know, he says, do you really mean this? Said Jare. If you don't believe me, don't come. I'll come, I'll come, said Jare. Whatever happens, I shall be there. Uh, so, you know, she's she's still kind of tying with him. <laughs> you know, this it, there's a very kind of she's kind of carefully planning out the these kind of moves um i mean that the the wording it uses in the chinese actually talks about you know moving soldiers and giving orders to generals so it's like uh so yeah literally it, you're, you're thinking in kind of like military yes. type um terminology the the art of anti-nice guy warfare laying some seriously like yeah, sunza art of war type stuff on him and his plan is actually nearly thwarted because uh that evening some guests come over for dinner so he has to be there for that and so he can't sneak out until they've gone and then he has to wait for his grandfather to go to bed and only after that can he finally hop on over and and um go for round two right to make it back to the wrong uh the wrong uh compound right he does manage to get there and makes it to this to this back passageway she told him to wait in and he is the 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 language i think is quite expressive you know he he's described as like like ants like an ant on a hot pan so <laughs> so you can kind of imagine exactly how it is you know uh, kind of on tenter hooks basically a feeling of anticipation uh, and excitement that that is almost kind of painful and he thinks you know am i is it going to happen again? Am I going to be left left to wait all night when a figure emerges? A dark figure glided into the room. Certainly, it must be Shifeng. Jare cast all cautions to the winds, and when the figure approached him, threw himself upon it like a hungry tiger seizing its prey or a cat pouncing on a harmless mouse. And yeah, so without without further ado, he gets right down to it. So he throws his arms around her, um, and begins kissing and caressing her and calling her all sorts of different, you know, kind of terms of endearment and names and things. He says, Chin uh, He also says, Chin uh, uh, How would you directly translate? It's like. So, like, Niang is, a, is a, like a girl or woman, right? So, Chin is kind of like dear, dear girl. But, yeah, I don't really understand because that's kind of like dad, older man, uh, at least as far as I'd understood it. So, yeah, Chin, chin is like can be a way of referring to one's relations but it's also like love lovely but yeah dear is is like daddy interesting and, and what does and what does hawks have that rendered as he doesn't go for the direct translation here right yeah he says my sweetest darling my honey love okay he, he waters it down a little bit i think is it just that he's jare has this very hardcore like incest adjacent kink or <laughs> That's what I want to know, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? You know, 
We don't want to shame him for that, just for being a creep. <laughs> Unfortunately for Jare, it's not Wang Xifeng. No, no, it's definitely not. <laughs> and they're not alone. They're not alone either, right? So all of a sudden, uh, a light flashes from the other corner, and it's uh, it's Jia Chong holding a candle. And uh, and then from the the bedroom or from the the Kong, Jia Rong says, "Uncle Ray is trying to bugger me." <laughs> In the Hawks, of course, it uses a Britishism, I guess. And I think that passage is kind of funny, because at no point until the light comes on does Jia Rong say. Um, hang on, I think uh, I think you might have got the wrong person, or or anything of that sort. He he's just sort of quietly content to uh, allow Jare just to continue to kind of molest him. Yeah, he's really close. His his pants are down. Um, yeah. What is the uh, the Chinese is ing bang bang jiu shang ding ru. <laughs> Maybe leave that untranslated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to get censored by. Uh... He, he's re- he's ready to go anyway. So not only are his. Uh, amorous desires thwarted he's now in this difficult spot so what happens with Jia Chang and Jia Rong we hear that Wang Xifeng has been off and spoken to Lady Wang her her uh, her aunt and the, the kind of one of the matriarchs of the Rong branch of the Jia clan right Bao Yu's mother Wang Xifeng has been off to speak to her and has told her what Jia supposedly supposedly told right. her what Wang uh, what Jia Rei has been doing that he's been creeping on her, been trying to put the moves on her and stuff, and won't leave her alone. And this has made Wang, uh, Lady Wang furious. She's described as, so it says, Tai Tai Ting Jian, Qi Si Guo Qi Le. So like, she is extremely angry at, uh, when, when she hears this, basically. So if Jia Rei is found, he is in big trouble. Fortunately for him, Jia Qiang and Jia Rong agree to help him first to hide and then to um, escape from the wrong household mm-hmm. for a price. For a price, exactly. And it's very clear that this has been the intention all along because they have um, an IOU sheet and a paper and writing brush ready, uh, ready to go. Um, so it's really interesting how all of a sudden uh, this becomes a, a sort of a monetary uh, affair where basically all of a sudden now Jare is going to be indebted to Jia Chang and Jia Rong. You know, recently, uh, David Graeber passed away. And David Graeber is, of course, the famous theorist of uh, debt and of, you know, anthropological value. Uh, and so it's interesting in this moment where, you know, there's a kind of uh, famil- familial relationships in here are, are revealing their, yeah. uh, this kind of, this nasty, insidious underbelly both in terms of Jare's uh intentions but also uh you know uh, Jarong's and Jachang's like counter intentions so all of a sudden the the debt relation emerges uh at this moment of like potential violence we can you know in 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 memory of the recently uh deceased David Graeber we can kind of see here uh a debt and violence connection yeah yeah, and also in his memory, uh, we can recognize that there are many servants with bullshit jobs. Um. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah. So everything, everything's there, yeah. Uh, pour one out for uh, David Graeber. So what happens is uh, Jia Chang says, okay, you, you just say you owe me 50 tails of silver, 
on account of a gambling debt. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Jare signs it, and he's like, "Okay, cool. You know, come and get me out of here." And then Jarong says, "Oh, well, no, I'm sorry. You haven't agreed to pay me anything. I, I am incorruptible. I have a duty to report this." Then Jare has to agree to pay him fifty tails of silver as well and sign another IOU before he's finally allowed to um, escape. Right, and this is a lot of money, right? How much do you do? We remember how much, how much does Shripan buy uh, Inglian Xiangling for? Wasn't it around a hundred tails of silver? Am I misremembering? I'm actually not sure. Well, I remember that in chapter. I remember that in chapter six, Granny Liu, uh, the poor relative from the countryside who comes to kind of beg for money, gets twenty tails of silver. I think. And she was uh, really uh, excited. That that was more than she expected, I think, right? Yeah. And just thinking aloud, in chapter two, in chapter two, when we have uh, Jia Yutun, who is initially a kind of penniless, but, you know, in, intelligent and ambitious young man, who manages to pass the civil service examinations and become part of the, you know, apparatus of government, and is kind of on the gravy train for life. In his first posting, he comes to this town as magistrate, and he sees one of the servant girls from his old neighbor's house, uh, who he had a kind of love at first sight moment with, and the feeling was mutual. And so he decides to marry her, and in dowry, he gives a hundred tales of silver. So the amount that uh, Jare has just incurred to get himself out of this rather sticky mess is the same amount of money. So it's he's paying a full dowry, essentially. And he himself, he, he's in his early 20s, he's unmarried. And so now he's in a really bad situation because he has, you know, this this debt. Uh, he has no fulfillment of his very, his amorous um, fixation. And so, I, I mean, he, he's a bad, he's a bad guy. And, and he was also, I, I, if I'm recalling correctly, he was also in cahoots with Shrepan and, and he was maybe uh, involved in some of his yeah, his kind of grooming schemes. Uh, he's, yeah, possibly involved sexually with some of the boys from the school. And so he, he's a bad character, but he's also in a bad situation. They're going to hide him, right? Yep. And, and then they, they take him to... Uh, it's he, He's basically beneath a stair by a platform. Is that, a, is that correct? Exactly. He's kind of hiding under the stairs. For some reason, I imagine it as the kind of broom cupboard where... Harry Potter sleeps, <laughs> but but I think it's nothing of the sort because it's some kind of staircase basically that he's tucked under, uh, you know, a little out of the way place mm-hmm. uh, where nobody will see him. Uh, and then all of a sudden he has another unpleasant surprise. Do do you have it? Jare, by now a mere automaton in the hands of his captors, obediently crouched down beneath the steps and was just beginning a series of calculations respecting his present financial predicament when a sudden swash signalled the discharge of a slot pail's stinking contents immediately above his head, drenching him from top to toe with liquid filth, and causing him to cry out in dismay, but only momentarily, for the excrement covered his face and head and caused him to close his mouth again in a hurry and crouch silent and shivering in the icy cold. So I guess this is another um, another mud chapter in our like kind of... Uh analyzing whether the chapter is more water or mud uh this is another mud one i guess um this, this is absolute filth 
And, you know, he's not the first character to be covered in excrement. We also had uh, Jiao Da from, I believe that was chapter... Seven, maybe? That sounds right. Yeah, chapter, the end of chapter seven, who was uh, speaking filth to his, you know, his social superiors. Yeah. And the only way to get him to stop, the other servants uh, kind of like tackled him and, and filled his mouth with, uh, I think, cow cow dung yeah yeah dung and straw to kind of to, to kind of stop him stop him speaking so I, I don't know which one is which fate is worse it seems pretty bad though it's 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 kind of funny though i mean it's are we assuming that are we assuming that this was uh jarong or uh jachang did they do this did they deliberately do it it's a little bit unclear yeah. yeah or was it an orderly disposing of something by by chance it's a little bit unclear, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. It seems a little mm. bit too good to be true, or too bad to be true, as it were. So this is definitely adding insult to financial injury. And basically, they they uh, they send him off back to you know the the Ning compound. Uh, he has to make a lie again that he that he slipped in the mud, essentially. Uh, no, that he fell into the toilet. Oh, that he fell into the toilet. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so it says he fall into the Jakes, and this is actually not a word I'm that familiar with in English. Um, but uh, the Chinese makes extremely clear that it, it's a toilet. Mao um, Tse is the is the um, he said, "Tian Hela." So it was dark. Shi Jiao Diao Zai Mao Tse Li Le. So I lost my footing and fell in the or Mao Tse. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, ma- yeah. It can be Mao as well. The train, basically. Did you ever see the film Slumdog Millionaire? There's a scene right in the beginning where he wants to get uh, someone famous, I forget who, to sign his sign some piece of paper, uh, and the only way to get there is to drop through into the toilet, holding the paper above the 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 filth. And when he hands it to him, he's absolutely covered head to toe in <clears throat> sewerage. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good scene. I think reading this, that scene from that movie also kind of flashed in my head. So we can really get a sense of how kind of stinking and degraded he is at this point. Yeah, I think so as well. And so he's definitely been made a fool of, and we're not entirely sympathetic because he is a creep. Yeah, um. he's got. He has very thoroughly got his comeuppance here, and I think the thing is the. The IOU and the being covered in excrement part is probably beyond what uh, Wang Xifeng might have anticipated him encountering. Um, right. I wonder if that's like a, the, the male innovation to her, <laughs> um, her scheme. Um, but anyway, he manages to get home and clean himself up and go to bed. <laughs> 